If you can't clearly articulate it, you can't intentionally action it. And so taking the time to clearly articulate everything that's at play so you can be intentional about responding is really important. Whether that's you know articulating the environment around you that you have to respond in, or whether that's articulating your plan of attack to deal with it, and it's also articulating how you're going to respond and be agile given different circumstances as they arise. If you can't clearly articulate all those things, you can't be intentional about responding well. And so taking the time to do that is critical. Welcome to the Thriving in Complexity podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne Lubertilia, and I'd love for you to join me as I peek behind the scenes of complex situations and workplaces and interview leaders and experts who will challenge your thinking inform and inspire your leadership so you and your team can thrive in the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world we live in. On this podcast, I'm speaking with Clifford Morgan. Cliff is passionate about organisational development and partners with workplace leaders to assist them to develop themselves and their teams to achieve personal and corporate goals and fulfill the potential of their organization. Cliff is an endorsed organizational psychologist with over 15 years of service with the Royal Australian Air Force, and he has a wealth of experience that he uses to assist his clients. As a coach, he has worked with CEOs, military commanders, state and federal government executives, and various business and community leaders across a wide variety of industries. Cliff also works as a consultant across the breadth of the organisational life cycle with experience in strategy, leadership development, organisational change, culture and employee engagement. And Cliff is also a published author and he's recently released a new book called The Coaching Leader. It's all about helping leaders become luminaries by challenging mindsets, influencing culture and empowering people. Welcome, Cliff. It's wonderful to have you on the podcast today. I wonder if we could kick things off with telling our listeners something about you that people may not necessarily know. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Suzanne. It's always great. I enjoy these podcast interviews. It's uh, really something that is quite fun. Something that many people would not know, I I think, you know, sometimes I claim that I'm an international musician. (laughs) I played the trombone at the very first promotional gig for the, what was it, the the Beijing Olympics. So I just happened to be on a school trip where our, our band was visiting our sister school over there and while we were over there an opportunity came up yeah they thought oh you know international touring band come and play for this gig (laughs) so my claim is i'm an internationally renowned well not so much renowned but internationally touring uh, musician (laughs) well if you ever meet lee sales who used to host the 730 report she's rather partial to the trombone so you should be sure to mention that (laughs) (laughs) she's got this thing for trombone players fair enough okay so cliff you were in the air force and you're also an organizational psychologist Mm. so how do you think that combination of military background and psychology training has really influenced how you approach 
developing other people to be better leaders? Yeah, look, you know, it's an interesting combination and one I kind of, I really feel fortunate to have and I think provides a, a unique kind of skill set or value proposition for clients. Yeah. You know, I've got a whole lot of experience when it comes to leadership that comes from the military and, you know, that's kind of, I've, I've worked, I often say that I've worked with some of the best leaders in the world that I would follow into battle and take a bullet for. And I've also seen the worst leaders in the world that I gladly throw a grenade under their bed while they slept. Yeah. You know, so I've seen the full breadth and extent of, of leadership and, and kind of experienced and being trained in a whole lot of, you know, kind of leadership scenarios that mm-hmm. is very hard to get elsewhere. Yeah. And one of the benefits then of kind of leaving the military and going and studying psychology and becoming an organizational psychologist is then that I understand a lot of the mechanisms and the psychology behind the training that I got, right? So it's not just my experience that I bring to it. It's the, the science. It's the yeah. understanding of why it works. And that's really useful then because when I'm working with clients, I can then say, well, hey, you know, here's a scenario, here's, here's a, a tactic, here's a, a leadership strategy, whatever we're kind of dealing with at the time, and here's why it works. And therefore, once you understand why it works, you can then really tailor that technique or that, that tactic to the individual that I'm coaching and sort of say, well, given the context that you're operating in and the skill set that you bring to this scenario, how could you apply that? Don't just try and copy what I did yep. back then or what I've done, you know, in, in this scenario, but really given the understanding that you now have around this particular thing, how would that apply in your world? Yeah. And so that, that combination is, is really valuable from that perspective. And have you found there's anything from what you learned in the military about navigating complexity that would be particularly beneficial for other organizations to think about how they can use those concepts and approaches. Yeah, look, I, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about this in the lead up to this conversation, and I, I think the, I guess, the ability to deal with ambiguity and complexity and, and that sort of thing that is one of the things that we get trained to do quite well in the military. If you you think about, you know, so my background was I was a patrol commander in ground defence in the Air Force, so very much infantry skill set applied around securing and defending air bases. And so I was trained to lead, yeah. you know, small teams on the battlefield in combat. And you think about the battlefield, it is one of the most complex scenarios that you can come across. And, you know, the level of ambiguity, the constant change, you're trying to execute your strategy to win, the enemy's trying to execute theirs, and you're trying to defeat each other. And so things are constantly changing there. So I guess the, the training that we go through in order to manage that and also win is really valuable, right? And so, you know, I was thinking about what do I, I take from my time in the military to, for I, I guess a more corporate audience or a civilian audience to, to deal with complexity? A couple of things. There's, you know, ultimately keeping it simple is really important. Yeah. You know, if the scenario is super complex, then what we don't want to do is try and add to the complexity in order to achieve our goals, right? Yeah. So what we want to do in our approach is try and simplify as much as possible and focus on the main thing, keep the main thing the main thing. And I think the, the other thing 
And part of, I, I think, what does that in the military is some of the, the mental models that we get given in how to deal with the complexity. So, you know, and, and there's a whole range of them for, that we use in, in different scenarios, you know, ranging from, you know, the military appreciation process, which is a kind of how we make decisions. Yeah. And we're, we're trained to do that. And that, that's kind of a, a generalized process that you can then apply at multiple different levels, right? So we've got the, yeah. the what we call IMAP, the individual military appreciation process. So that's for the individual. Then we've got the, the combat military appreciation process. So that's for the, the leader on, on the, in the field on, in combat. And then we've got JMAP, you know, right up to the top to JMAP where we've got joint military appreciation process. So this is where the, yeah, the really senior commanders have got, you know, elements from, you know, all three services and potentially international elements and trying to coordinate all those and, and develop a strategy, the overall battle plan for the, the operational theater, right? So you've got things like that. I think that one of the the best ones that I've used when working with with clients is the OODA loop, which is a mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've have you heard of that one before? Not heard of that one. Do you want to tell us more about what it is? Yeah. So the OODA loop is essentially a four stage process. So observe, orientate, decide, and act. Mm-hmm. And it comes out of the the work of a U.S. Air Force colonel called John Boyd. Mm-hmm. And he was a fighter pilot and he was coming out of the Korean War. One of the the kind of the things at that, that stage had happened was these long-range missile attacks had been in. And so the, the actual dogfighting capability that the Air Force pilots had honed in World War II had... Yeah all those skills had, had kind of fallen away because everybody was relying on these long-range missiles now. And then coming out of Korea and into the Vietnam War, there was, you know, the MiGs came into play and they were a whole lot, they were a lot more versatile in the air and they actually started trying to have dogfights with the US pilot or the, and, and the Allied pilots. Mm. And the US were actually losing a, a lot of aircraft. And so John Boyd kind of studied the decision-making process of pilots flying fast jets. And he came up essentially trying to understand the process and he talked about this four-step process and the OODA loop being we need, they first observe as to where they are in the air and also where the enemy is. Yeah. And then they orientate to that, just kind of analyze the situation. Yeah. And they decide on what they're going to do and then they act. But it's a loop, right? Yeah. And so, you know, once you do something, then the enemy is going to respond to that. So then you've got to reobserve and then reorientate and then decide and then act. And so you're constantly doing that. You're constantly observing from the outside and, mm-hmm. and then taking in new information, then orientate. So analyzing that information, developing, you know, different courses of action. Yeah. And then deciding which one's the best one and what you're going to do. And you're constantly doing that. And that kind of as a result of that kind of theory contributed significantly to development of new aircraft, but also then mm-hmm. new flight training, that sort of thing. But it's, you know, he then, once he kind of left the military, he kind of applied that to, in a corporate world and started working, you know, strategically with leaders and yeah. applying that same thing. And if you actually, you know, you can Google OODA loop and it, it will, you'll come up with some quite, not necessarily complex, but in-depth models of how you could apply that, yeah. you know, in an organizational setting. And I think one of the, the keys to dealing with complexity is constantly being agile and not sticking to one plan and not responding to 
the environment around you. And that's kind of what the OODA loop encourages, right, is you're constantly yeah. taking in, scanning the outside world and taking in the information from the situation, the scenario, so it's an open system. Yeah. You're thinking about systems thinking and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then you're you're developing a plan and acting on it, but then you're constantly you know, re-observing, taking new re-analyzing. So you're not, yeah. you're being agile. You're responding to things, how they change. Yes. And not just kind of sticking in the, the you know, the one course of action, the one road and, and then figuring out that a hey, scenario has changed and, and that's no longer relevant. Yeah. It's that sort of continuous sense-making, being open to what's actually going on around you all of the time and, you're not just focusing on what's in front of you, but mm. looking for those weak signals that are going on around you about what could potentially be emerging and then how do you need to adapt in response to that and maybe try something small. If that works, keep going. If it doesn't, try and you know, look at what else is going on around you and, and what are your other options. Yeah, very much so. You know, It's important to you know just take in the information and develop a plan because if you can't articulate what you're you're going to do, then you can't be intentional about actioning it. Yeah. And so you need to kind of have a plan, you know, but, you know, famously, uh, I think it was Eisenhower who said, you know, plans are, are useless, but planning is everything. Now, I think I saw a post you put up this morning on LinkedIn about intentionality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so being in, intentional, right, it's the planning process allows you to, be intentional in the, in the way that you're going to, to do things, but also respond intentionally and not just react. Yeah. So I talk about the difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is something that you just do automatically without conscious choice. Yes. Whereas responding is you're choosing your course of action. You're being intentional about how you, what you're going to do in response to the world around you in order to achieve the outcome that you want. Yeah. And so if you plan properly, that affords you the opportunity to respond quickly as opposed to just react. Yeah. Because when you're responding, you're also taking into account your own triggers, your own tendencies, and you're actually combining what's going on around outside you with how you're leading yourself in that context as well. Whereas when you're reacting, you're really just subconsciously reacting to what's happening, aren't you, without that greater depth of awareness. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, it's, it's also the, one of the other things that kind of comes out of the military, um, my, my experience there that facilitates the responding well is, you know, the contingency planning and what we call actions on. Mm -hmm. So in the military, we would literally articulate a set of actions on for particular scenarios that are likely to occur. So yeah. if we were out patrolling, you know, we would have, Actions on ambush. So it's standard operating procedures. If we got ambushed, everybody would automatically turn out, put down fire, find a, find some cover, then move into an extended line and wait for the command to assault the enemy position. And no commands were ever given. No one needed to ask what we were going to do. Everybody just automatically responded the way they were trained yeah. because they'd had a predetermined course of action. And so I often talk to, to leaders around, you know, what are the psychological actions on for you? Yeah. If you get triggered, how are you going to respond to that? Predetermine the response. Don't wait until you're triggered yeah. and then try and respond. And, and it's the same with, you know, when you're 
leading a team through a project or you're dealing with complexity and in, in those sorts of things it's like okay cool what are the likely scenarios and how are we going to manage those you know what's the mm-hmm. the best case scenario how are we going to respond in that you know what's the worst case scenario how would we deal with that and then you know what's the most likely course of action and then yeah you know if you do those three then often you're pretty prepared to deal with you know the second third fourth order consequences of how things play out you know once you take that first action yes yeah so i'm i'm wondering do you because i know when i coach sometimes i'll end up doing role plays mm-hmm. with people it, just anticipating how things could play out and how are they going to respond in those different situations? Do you find that that works well with your clients? Yeah, role playing is definitely something that I I do, and and really I think that's that's part of a broader broader piece around scenario based training, yeah. right? And I think that's something that the military does really well. You know, we're constantly training, we're constantly going military exercise, and really we're being put in scenarios and practicing training how we would respond in those scenarios and that that's essentially what role playing is it's just on the individual level right you're yeah. you're putting yourself in a scenario it is and you're practicing how you would play that out and i i actually a big proponent of that in the corporate world because i don't think organizations do that enough and it's you know whether it's an, an organizational change or you're putting a project in place or you know, just responding to changes in the the marketplace. Yeah. You know, I'm a big proponent of sort of leaders going, okay, cool, here's the scenario. And even if it's just a tabletop discussion, mm. but here's the scenario and put that on the table, how would we deal with that? And as a team, then you work through that. Yes. And yeah, you may never encounter that scenario, but if you do, then you kind of have, you know, you, you've kind of pseudo just yeah. developed how you're going to respond in doing that. Yes. But you, you are going to deal with scenarios that are left field. Yeah. You're going to deal with scenarios that are, you know, complex. And the more that you are practiced at dealing with complex scenarios, yes. then the better you are going to be able to respond Think on your and feet. And think on your feet yep. when they do happen, regardless of whether or not you've tackled that specific scenario before. Yeah, because I know there's a really big difference between playing something through in your head or having a plan on a piece of paper, actually having it play out in real life, practicing saying the words mm-hmm. really does make such a difference. And I know there are so many things that happen with complexity and ambiguity and uncertainty that you just cannot know exactly what's going to happen so you can't have a absolutely rehearsed response Mm. but i absolutely agree with you doing that preparation gets you ready Mm. for actually it might not be exactly the same but you go okay we did a bit of an experiment with this maybe we could use this one from this one this one from this one and we can join some things together and see how that flies in this particular situation yeah so yeah not very much so there's a lot of disciplined approach sort of running through all of that as a bit of a theme do you think there's ever a downside to taking a really disciplined approach so i think the danger that people fall into when they think discipline right is the failure to be to be agile and to adjust right yeah there's a difference between being disciplined in a process versus being disciplined you know following a plan and 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 that side of things right you know, it's interesting. I was so John Boyd, who came up with the OODA loop process, right? He talks about mm-hmm. in the military, we talk about doctrine, right? And where you have a 
these are the principles that you have to apply in these situations and, and that side of things. And mm-hmm. he actually said, you know, you'll never hear me talk about doctrine because it's doctrine on day one and it's dogma every day after that. And that's where, yeah. you know, people, they think, yep, that's a great idea. We'll apply that in this particular scenario. But then it becomes, okay, we have to do this regardless of the, the scenario. And therefore, that may not be fit for purpose, right? It may not be yeah. what's required. And so it's the, I say, being disciplined in the process of actually thinking about, okay, what's, yeah. you know, applying the mental model, I guess, or choosing different mental models and, and, and planning and thinking through and mm. having the space to actually yeah. think that through. And that, that's a, a big one that most people don't have today mm. because the world's so fast and, you know, there's so much pressure and that sort of thing. But it's one of the benefits that I find of coaching, right, is yes. it helps leaders create the space to stop, yep. to actually think, to, you know, do the, the planning and all the things that we're talking about before they kind of jump back into the, the rush and, and the busyness of the world. Mm. But, yeah, so being disciplined in the process, I'm yet to kind of come across downsides to that. But if your version of discipline is kind of following through something dogmatically yeah. and without actually thinking about the world around you and the environment and actually considering mm. how do we take all that into account, then there's definitely downsides to that. Yeah, I think so true. So many times you see there's so much value in having a lot of discipline around the structure and the process, choosing the right tool mm. for what it is you're looking at doing, but then really to let things emerge <laughs> within that space. Mm. And yeah, yeah. Yep. Definitely. So, Cliff, I'm curious, how did you find the transition from military life to civilian life? Were there any personal challenges with making that change? Yeah, look, there's, there's always many challenges when you're making a significant change like that, and particularly one from you know, a, a combat-oriented profession like I was in in the military and to then adjusting into the civilian world. You know, a big one was around how I interacted with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I often tell the story about my first leadership role outside the military, which was in a volunteer capacity. And, uh, you know, long story short, it took me one month to lose the entire team. And, you know, that that's a bit of an achievement considering there's 15 people that said, hey, I don't want, I don't want to be led by you anymore. And so there's a lot of learning that came out of that. Uh, but part of that was the way that I interacted with, with people. And while you know, I was a relatively successful leader in the military and the way that I interacted in that environment and in that context, yeah. you know, when you are in a different context, then you've got to make changes. Yeah. Right? You've got to be agile. And, and this is one of the things that I, I work with leaders and I coach them on is that you can be a successful leader in one context, but as the context changes, you've got to respond to that yes some leaders are really agile and they can they can change their leadership style or adapt it to the context and others can't you know a famous example is winston churchill who he was highly successful in the wartime but you know he was a, an absolutely dismal failure really when it comes to being a prime minister post-war mm. didn't last very long in that role yeah and so he wasn't able to adjust his his style and his approach to the changing context and and so that I think is is part of the picture as well. Yeah. So Cliff, who are some of the other people that have influenced your approach to leadership and and high performance? 
yeah, look, there's there's so many. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there there really are a lot. I can think of you know my my first rifle flight commander and and mm-hmm. platoon sergeant back then were absolutely brilliant you know one experienced one very new but together they worked really well as a pair yeah and very inspirational and and kind of led by example in a lot of ways you know i, I think back to you know one, a, now a good friend of mine but one of my uh, psychology supervisors early on dr mike allen a brilliant mm-hmm. organizational psychologist and you know worked and coached with leaders and had a big influence on my development as a psychologist yeah so that's been really good. And then, you know, there's a, a lot of people from afar as well who, you know, you can mentoring through watching them speak and yeah. uh, reading their books and things like that. You know, John Maxwell is a, a, I'm a big fan of, of his and the way he communicates. So, you know, they're, they're just a, a few, I guess, but there's, there's definitely many more that have contributed to, to my journey. Yeah. And we were talking before about how important it is for leaders to adapt their approach to suit the context. Mm. Are there particular strategies that you think people can use to help them be more effective leaders in those constantly changing environments? So uh, I think, you know, we were talking before around discipline and I think it's, you know, having being disciplined in scanning the environment and identifying what has changed and therefore, how do I need to respond to that? And so, again, it kind of relates back to the space that we were talking about before and actually taking time, finding space, whether that's with a coach or it's just by yourself. I often say that um, thoughts untangle themselves over the lips and through the fingertips. So, I'm not sure it's been, yeah. been so you know, attributed to many different people, but that, that quote there where, where we are able to communicate our thoughts or what's going on around us whether that's over the lips Mm -hmm. so speaking with somebody else or through the fingertips it's writing it down yes that act of communication forces us to articulate our thoughts it's our yes the act of articulation that brings clarity once people are clear about the situation the environment the change that's occurred in the context then generally most people can figure out what they need to do in order to respond to it yes so but it's gaining that clarity at first but you need space to figure out yeah what that is so you know being disciplined in carving out time in, you know whether it's an hour a week yeah and you can just it's thinking space right yeah and you know there, there's a bunch of science that says that that's really beneficial as well and you can cite the studies around you know how that improves outcomes for for different leaders and, you know, how it boosts resilience as well and all sorts of things. So, Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people talk about how busy they are and how much pressure they're under and often that space for self-reflection is the first thing to go, yet it becomes even more critical in those environments, doesn't it? I, I know myself, you get caught up in the, if I look back on some of those really high-pressure times that I was under, when you actually carved out that time, your performance actually was much better than those times that you just succumbed and just kept running on the hamster wheel. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the things that I'll often say to clients is it's the things that get us through the tough times that we stop doing when time get tough. Mm. And so, you know, as you said, so often those, those beneficial things, whether it's thinking space, whether it's, you know, the physical exercise, the, the sleep, the diet, all those sort of things that help us put us in the, the position to perform well in the midst of 
pressure, you know, in the midst of complexity. Yeah. Often they're the, the first things that drop by the wayside when times get tough. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Cliff, you've been working on a really interesting big project for your mm -hmm. this year. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what's getting released soon and what sort of impact you're hoping it will have? Yeah. So, look, I have, uh, I'm about to release my first book which is an exciting thing for me. It's called The Coaching Leader. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> so I am uh, very, very happy that we're at the end of that journey and that that's coming out. So, yeah, it's called The Coaching Leader. It's all about equipping leaders with the skills of an executive coach so that they can be really intentional about developing their people as they lead day to day. I think one of the, the keys to successful leaders, leaders and leadership in the modern world is the ability to develop people and develop capability within their organization. And so often people, uh, you know, traditionally it's like, okay, we've got to develop people, we've got to send them away for a two-day retreat or a, you know, a week-long course or something like that. Yeah. And it's uh, not necessarily effective. It's not, not efficient. You've got to take them offline. It costs money to do the call, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Whereas what you should be doing is developing them day to day. And, you know, I will say that, you know, everything you do as a leader, is an opportunity to develop your people if you're intentional about making it so. Yeah. And so really that book. Definitely. It's really around equipping leaders with the skills to do just that. Yeah. In the coaching world, I think this is a pretty significant shift that we're starting to see because I know even the Association for Coaching is introduced a new category of membership, which is actually leaders as coaches mm -hmm. and recognizing that really critical role that leaders play not just in leading the day-to-day -day, you know, business or organization that they're in, but actually developing the people in that organization as a core part of their role. Yeah. And as that applies to kind of the, you know, the, the broader topic of this podcast in terms of developing capability, right? It's yeah. all well and good for a leader to be able to manage and navigate capability but or complexity. But what they need to do is really you know foster the that ability yes in their people in those that they lead and, and if you've got an entire organization that has the ability to navigate complexity well mm. then you know you're you're set up to win in the marketplace in you know, today's yeah. modern world so really just taking the time to you know ask questions rather than tell people what to do because uh, really that's in a, in a crux or the crux of what coaching is can make all the difference long term mm. yeah so when your book comes out where can people find it yeah look so uh look eventually it will be on amazon all those sorts of things but uh, pre-orders are available now if you are interested in that topic and you, know, you can get the pre-order now when when it does come out you'll be able to buy it off cliffordmorgan.com.au so the website there is where you can access the book Great. Look forward to reading it. Sounds like it'll be a very useful resource to add to the toolkit. <laughs> I look forward to getting your feedback. <laughs> and so when you're thinking about the book that you've written and the type of mm -hmm. the things that leaders need to do, is there anything else about the types of leaders that you think the world needs today? Look, I, I think the, the type of leaders that the world needs today are ones that I talk about transformational leadership and ultimately, you know, coaching leadership really is a form of transformational leadership. It's leading in a way that transforms people and makes them better versions of themselves. Yeah. And that I think is important. And, you know, you, you look at that in, and that can be, 
I guess, focused or applied in really any scenario, circumstance, through any lens, I guess, you know. Mm. You know, it's leading in a way that transforms people into better versions of themselves in the way that they can navigate complexity better, right? Yeah. They might be better in terms of being more efficient and effective at their at their job. I argue that probably the, the best change is making them better at leading and developing other people, right? Yeah. You know? So my my whole point there is if you can lead in a way that makes people better versions of themselves or better individuals means better teams, which means better departments, better yes. organizations, right? Which is, you know, great for the economy and the marketplace and, and that kind of macro scale stuff. Yeah. But I think more importantly, you know, leaders who transform their people into better versions of themselves at work, well, those individuals will go home and be better fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, yeah. right? And therefore, we get better families and better communities. Yes. And that makes the world a better place. So, yeah, definitely. That ability to, to lead transformation, lead in a way that develops people, you know, it develops capability, which is means that that leader is more valuable to the organization. Mm. But it also, you know, has that really positive altruistic impact around the, the world. And, and that's what I, I think really the world needs right now. Yeah. So we're seeing a real shift, aren't we, where we've come from an era when inspirational leaders were a really big thing. But now, as we want to see people who are more transformational leaders, it's not so much transforming through inspiring, it's doing different things. So if you are someone who's probably more of an inspirational leader, what are some of the practical just a couple of practical things that you could start doing differently to become more of a transformational leader with your team. Hmm. Yeah, look, first of all, I would say if you're an inspirational leader, then well done because there's, there's not many of you out there. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a lot of people that are transactional and, and so they treat leadership as a, a transaction. If I do this for you, you'll do that for me. And But if you're actually able to inspire and motivate people to you know, work towards the common goal, then then great. In terms of, you know, using coaching and, and, and being that little bit more transformational, mm-hmm. what I would say is ask more questions. And okay. really that that's, as I said, is, is at the heart of coaching, right? But it's the heart of developing your people. And so it's they people bring to you a problem. It's, okay, cool. You're, what are we trying to achieve here? What's the problem? What are we trying to achieve? And what can we do differently, you know? What do you think the best course of action is and what do we need to do to implement that? You know, in, in the case, you know, in the, the, I think there was five questions right there and, and they can kind of come up with the answer, the solution themselves. Yes. Then what you're doing is you're, you're training them to think at a high level, to think the way that you think, right? Yeah. And, well, not necessarily the way that you think, but, to be solution oriented and if, if what happens is that if you continually go through that process and the next time they come up with or come up against a challenge or an obstacle or a problem mm. they're going to go to the source of their last solution now if you've told people what they need to do then you are the source of their last solution so they're constantly coming to you yeah and you become the bottleneck and you have to all the pressure and you have to come up with the solution yeah but if you've taken them through a process repeatedly of asking them what they think they could do and, you know, what are the different options and would that one work? Well, have you considered this? And how about that one? And, and they come up with the solution themselves. 
the next time they come up against a problem or challenge, what they're going to do is they're going to go to the source of their last solution. Now, if that's them, they're going to start and they're going to try and tackle it themselves. And, yeah. and that's when they start to develop, you know, innovation initiative, being proactive and all that sort of stuff themselves. And, and ultimately where you want them to get to is, you know, they come to you and they say, Hey, boss, we had this problem. I thought about these things. These are the options that we had. I reckon this is the plan of attack and this is what I'm going to execute. We all good. And you just go carry on. Yeah. And so that's. That's kind of the, the process. I reckon if you can ask a few more questions, then you're, you're going to be far on that way to developing capability in people. So be curious, ask more questions and create the environment where people feel safe to share their perspective, even if they know it's different to what they think you think. Great summary. Yep. Okay. So I know a lot of people learn so much more when they hear about other people's experiences mm-hmm. and what other people have learned. So want to take a sort of a more of a a closer look at you now, if that's okay, and ask you, what does thriving in complexity actually mean to you? Mm. Thriving in complexity to me, it really means viewing complexity as an opportunity. Yeah. And I think if you can approach, you know, the problems, the obstacles, the complexity, whatever it is, with the mindset of thinking, this is an opportunity for me to grow and develop and get better. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's a, a very different mindset to actually coming in and going, okay, this is a massive problem. How do I survive it? Right? Yeah. When you actually approach it with a, okay, cool. This is complexity is a good thing. Yes. It's going to make me and my team better. And if you're able to approach whatever the specific complexity is, with that mindset, then I think that's that's going to at least put you on the path to, you know, thriving in complexity, as you said. Mm, yeah. I know Michelle McQuaid and Dr. Paige Armstrong from Leaders Lab, they have something that they've talked about, which is it's not what you do, it's actually how you show up mm. that matters. And the way that you think about things as coming into complexity is an opportunity to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And potentially to do that by connecting with other people as well. Yeah. Or enabling other people to have the space to actually shine. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Okay. So, yeah. Have you ever been faced with a really complex situation where afterwards you've just thought, oh, I wish I had have done that differently? And if you have, what did you learn from that? Yeah, look, so constantly I I think I'm I'm often – in the throes of complex situation because people are complex and then you put a bunch of people together and, you know, there's a whole bunch of complexity and then you put an organisational structure on top of that and you're trying to change that structure or, you know, something like that. There's a whole lot of complexity there. And so whether that's, I can think of, you know, specific scenarios around, you know, organisational change that are projects that I've been involved in, you know, there's scenarios where there's been poor leadership and there's got to be culture change. Culture itself is just so wonderfully complex. Yes. And I, I think really the things that I've learned is really what I've distilled down mm. already. I, I think, you know, by nature, I'm a very high tempo action oriented person. So I'll jump in and take action. I haven't, haven't had the opportunity to sit back and have that space that I was talking about before and actually think and plan and, you know, develop the actions on and the contingencies. Yes. And so that I think is an important learning that I've had. 
And I think also being agile is really important and, and sort of saying, well, hey, we're, we're doing this, but we didn't consider these second, third, fourth order effects given that they have played out now, how, how are we going to respond to that? Mm. And also I think an important one for leaders is is humility and saying, hey, you know, we didn't consider that. We didn't get this right. We could have done this differently, but here's what we're going to do moving forward. Mm. And I think the more a leader can embody that characteristic as they respond to the way complexity plays out, the greater trust that they are going to have with their team yes, and therefore the greater level of influence and leadership that they're going to be able to demonstrate as the whole team kind of navigates whatever the complexity is. Yeah. Look, you're just making me think of back on different times when the times when we sort of said, hey, let's just take a pause for a moment and let's just you know, create a bit of space where we can actually talk some of this through before we jump in and do something mm-hmm. versus the times when you just felt so much pressure to jump in do something because particularly politically, they just wanted to see something happening. And then you end up putting out so many fires along the way because you just didn't have that time to, you know, pause Mm. and think, or you didn't force the issue. And I think as a leader, sometimes that's one of the things I've learned is when you just give in to the pressure (laughs) and do something because that's what's expected versus those times where you really just push back and say, let us create this space, you'll get a better outcome, we'll get a better result, we'll have less hassle down the track, please just give us this time. And just really holding the line to enable that to happen is often a really challenging thing for leaders who are under significant pressure from up above to actually do that. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's one of those challenges, I think, of just being a leader is knowing when to push Mm -hmm. and when to give in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you were to look back and had the opportunity to go back and talk to your 25-year-old self, what sort of advice would you give to yourself at that stage of life? Yeah, look, uh, there's there's so many uh, different pieces of advice. Look, But ultimately, I I think uh, ask more questions. You know, be that little bit more curious, take a little bit more time to ask a few more questions before you take action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if people were to remember anything else from our podcast conversation today, what else would you like them to particularly remember? Look, I, I think the one principle that underpins all the work that I do is if you can't clearly articulate it, you can't intentionally action it. Mm-hmm. And so taking the time to clearly articulate Everything that's at play so you can be intentional about responding is really important. Whether that's, you know, articulating the environment around you that you have to respond in Mm. or whether that's articulating your plan of attack to deal with it. And it's also articulating how you're going to respond and be agile given different circumstances as they arise. If you can't clearly articulate all those things, you can't be intentional about responding well. And so taking the time to do that is critical. Yeah. Really good points, really important things to remember. Mm. Yeah. So, Cliff, just wondering if you can remind everyone again, if they're interested in doing the pre-order for your book, mm-hmm. just giving everyone your website details again, but how else can people connect with you online if they'd like to do that? Yeah, so the, the website is uh, cliffordmorgan.com.au. And so you can get the pre-order for the book there. You can also find a bit more information about me. Uh, I am fairly active on LinkedIn is the other place. So just find find me on there and connect with me. And I'd love to 
have, have a chat. Give me some feedback. Love to hear any thoughts that uh, people have had in response to, to listening to, to this podcast. But yeah, they're the two primary ways. That's great. And Cliff, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day to come and have a chat today. Really appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone listening has got quite a number of things that they can really have a think about and also have a go at applying in what they do leading every day. So thank you very much. Awesome. It's been a pleasure today. Thanks for listening. If you had something you want to revisit or explore in more detail, you can check out the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and you like helping others to open their thinking, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. As always, a big thank you to Leon Fitton and the team at the Podcast Concierge. That's all for this episode. I'll see you next time.